The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. friends and welcome back to another episode of the roto world football podcast now it is the draft edition of the most important podcast in the universe and it's important now because we're going to have matt waldman on this episode as you know matt waldman is constantly cited on this very podcast by myself evan silva patrick doherty ray summerlin so on and so forth, like countless names. And Matt writes the Rookie Scouting Portfolio, which right now you can pre-order. I believe the publishing date each and every year is April 1st. It's a little holiday on my calendar every single season. Um, and Matt and I will be discussing the quarterback prospects. It's that time of year. And if you enjoy this podcast at any moment, if you enjoy whatever Matt's about to say, be sure to subscribe. And if you're already subscribed... Consider rating and reviewing. So without further ado, it is the professor himself, Matt Waldman. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, my friend. It's nice to be on, and um, I, appreciate the, I appreciate the fact that you guys like my work and, and, and have me on each year. So this is, it's wonderful to, to be back. Well, I mean, what I love about it is that you have a process and that you show your work. Like, I'm, I'm kind of in this mode right now of, and I'll start out of the gate. I'm just going to say it like if if you're a person who's watching prospects and you're not posting clips or games that you're watching alongside of those opinions, like how do I know if you're actually watching? Right. So like that, that's just the simple thought process that goes through my brain of, well, if you're watching it, then you should kind of share what you're watching to show where your opinions come from. And no one does that better than you with obviously the, the, the clips you post on Twitter, but also the, the, the film room sessions. Um, and everything that you put on YouTube and the RSP as well. So if any of you listening out there are not in tune with Matt's work, go and certainly check it out. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and I think that when you talk about, you know, just being able to show what you're showing your work, I mean, I think part of that process is just for yourself. I mean, if you're really thinking about how you define work, how you define what you're looking at, um, sometimes how you would define it in a conversation with someone, you know, if you're having beers with someone and talking about, you know, what makes a good pass catcher, you would, you know, you would probably talk about in, in some informal way how you define that. Well, I mean, when you really actually put it down on paper and then try and live to what it is that you're grading, um, it, you start it starts to evolve over time. The more that you learn, the more that you see, there are more times that there's exceptions to the rule um, that that you've created. And so, you know, I've been spending close to 15 years doing that on a very you know strict level with each of these skill positions. And I've changed my definitions multiple times over the over the years, and I put that in my publication in terms of how I've updated it. You know what you know, how I grade these players and it teaches you a lot. It's not just about sure. what other people learn, but about what you learn through that, through that process. And I'm sure we'll get to it at some point during this conversation, but like just how, um, even my process has changed over the last few years in terms of what I prioritize, what I don't things I learn from. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a constant thing and I've only been doing this for what, five or six years, maybe a little longer than that. I want to forget that first year I did it. But, uh, I mean, you and I had conversations even dating back to then, and I'm sure, and I can tell how yours has changed a little bit. I'm sure you can do the same thing uh, with me. And by the way, I believe the website, and correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, is mattwaldmanrsp.com. So let's get all the plugs out of the way. Uh, yep, that's all, where all, all out of the way. Yeah, that's where you can go find the Rookie Scouting Portfolio for basically every single skill position player um, that is in this draft, and Matt certainly finds gems that a lot of other people don't so or identifies them i should say um okay let's start off with sam darnold 
Why not, right? This yeah. is the the USC quarterback that many of you know. Uh, I would say right now the odds on favorite to be the number one pick, and I think how we're going to do this, Matt, is I kind of give a, a line or two just about the general sense or my sense of the player, and you either can agree, disagree, and just take it on the journey, the story that you usually do. Um, so Sam Darnold, to me, Matt, I see a quarterback that is all over the place with his footwork. And a lot of that might be dating back to his time as like a sophomore in high school as a linebacker. Um, like he doesn't throw from a balance base. He is not mechanically sound that a lot of the coaching Twitter, coaching universe might want him to be. But despite that, many times he overcomes it and compensates for it just with ridiculous plays with his arm down the field at multiple levels of the field. And he's also quite mobile uh, as well. Yeah, and I think that this is one of those situations where we talk about exceptions to the rule. And and I think that when you – oftentimes every year, everyone's always touting an exception to the rule. And what happens is that when when you're a little less experienced, you're more prone to – you know, touting guys who are exceptions to the rule who turn out not to be very exceptional. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, what happens is when you gain experience in this field, you tend to be less open to the exceptional, and then you miss out on the occasional player who makes a big difference. Um, and I think that there are a lot of guys who go in the first round who sometimes end up being exceptions to the rule, where they're nitpicked about things that hurt lesser players a lot, but because of their skills, they tend to they tend to show that it's not as big of a deal. Like for me, you know, quarterback technique, you know, you said about Darnold's footwork and his ability, you know, sometimes his stance isn't where it needs to be to throw the optimal ball or that he has, you know, he has this kind of a wind up with his with his release. that And, can and be, I would even go a step further than like stance, not exactly where it needs to be to even go to the point where he's like kind of like duck footed in terms of yeah. like they're pointing in opposite directions and like he's, yes he's throwing from like a completely unbalanced base that like stuff i've never even seen before yeah i mean oftentimes yeah, i would say even parallel you know duck footed parallel to the line of scrimmage with your feet so i mean a lot of those things that you know you watch jay cutler doing it at college and he got away with it for a while sometimes he gets away with it in in on certain throws in games you know, it, as a pro, but then also has, you know, thrown a lot of inaccurate passes when he didn't have to make, you know, didn't when he could have set his feet in a better position. And I think when you look at Darnold and you look at the arm motion, you look at the footwork, the question that I've always come back around to is, can he throw accurate passes that way? And does it inhibit his ability to become a better player and where does it inhibit his ability? And I think that where it inhibits him is when he's in the pocket, things are not clean and he could, you know, in contrast to player like Tom Brady might be able to continue in a certain rhythm of moving his feet, you know, in a clean, precise fashion and move from one progression to the next progression in rhythm and be in that throwing position to deliver the ball. And then, you know, he's right on time, just like that train. And so then we, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Like the no, train it's... is like the third person in this podcast each and every week. I'm not sure if you get to listen because I know you're busy during the season, but like, and I swear the train hasn't been going for an hour before this, Matt. But as soon as you Man, hop on, I used to, we're, I, we're all I, hopping I on like board. We're, is what we're, we're, doing. we're like Jake and Elwood, and you know, in the Blues Brothers, you know. And I'm trying to get myself out of this hellhole, Matt. That's basically thing. what I'm yeah. trying to do. No, it's cool. So I mean, but it is. It's it's you know, Tom Brady's kind of like that train that's on time all the time because of the fact that <laughs> that footwork is that uniform, mechanical very precise type of movement. You know what when you're you going to get play in and play out inside of a clean structure with someone yeah. like Tom Brady. Yeah. But the thing is, while Sam Darnold may miss the, you know, miss the 534 and be at 537 occasionally, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Sam Darnold at the same time does things that Tom Brady will never be able to do. Yeah. And it's his ability to, you know, avoid certain types of pressure and throw the ball from an off balance position with great touch 
great distance or even sometimes great velocity on those throws um, that make plays that, you know, you look at him and you say, that's more what Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers could do. Sometimes in an inspired moment where the Blake Bortles reads the coverage correctly and is in a good position to, to deliver the ball, you're going to see some of that, you know, more of a gunslinging type of, you know, physical skill on that end of the spectrum. So I'd say when you look at Darnold, the more I was skeptical at first, but yeah. the more I watched him, the more I thought he continues to make play after play after play that's NFL caliber when you project it. And yeah, he's going to miss some. Yeah, he's going to make some boneheaded plays trying to do a little too much. But more than more than I expected, he's the guy that is really, you know, I joke about it as saying, you know, it's getter done type of, you mm-hmm. know, mechan- throwing mechanics. Brett Favre had that. He, he kind of has that get her done ability. You know, Russell Wilson on, on the same level sometimes you, you you ask questions about him, but it's is it replicatable? Is it something that's just re- that he can continue to do? And I think that Sam Darnold fits that exception and, and he is worth a first round pick. And, and if I can just kind of isolate that one talking point for a moment, it's kind of the same or similar one that we had. And I'm not calling them similar prospects, but with Patrick Mahomes last year. Um, and, and I'm I'm not going to say it's a backyard type football, but it's just a style that we don't see very often because at the quarterback position, and we'll get into this with a lot of these names, they want kind of a cookie cutter, right? They want to, what you see is what you get type. They want an extension of the offensive coordinator, the head coach on the field. And to me, I'm not part of like the, the, the technique or mechanics community, right? I'm no coach. What I see or I want what I want to try to see is what succeeds. And like you said, is that repeatable at the NFL level? And so I'm with you. If, if sure, there are going to be plenty of occasions where his mechanics just from being off balance, off base from different platforms might hold him back or not get the result that you want to. But then you go and look at the plays that he can make Sam Darnold. And you see the ones that he can make that others cannot. And you say, Hey, I have to take this and in order to get this. And too often, Matt, I, I think with quarterbacks, um, and I think we see this with like Jameis Winston, right? Where right now it seems like Dirk Cutter wants to put Jameis Winston in a box and like not allow him to make any mistakes. But to me, when I, I watch Jameis, like his kind of high variant style is who he is and who he will always will be, right? So it a coach needs to work with that and around that and not try to make him into something that he's not. Does that make sense? It does. And I think where I would diverge with um, Jameis, and I like Jameis, but I've always choked around that Jameis Winston's the type of guy that has a flamethrower and he'll he'll burn down his offense in the first half and then somehow yeah. figure out how True. to turn that flamethrower onto the defense in the second half. And part of his problem, though, I think where – where I think Cutter maybe and, and maybe just other people look at Winston and say his feet are kind of slow. He's kind of got that loping kind of stride that where his processing of the information through his feet seems a little slow, slightly slower than what you'd want to see. And it's not that he's got a slow processor, you know, in terms of his mind for the game. I just think that the way that he moves is a little bit on the slower end of the Lethargic spectrum. Lethargic at times. Yes. Uh, you know, I remember Byron Leftwich kind of moving that way. And Leftwich had right. a good mind for the game, too. And I think that at times as well. Yes. And when you look at Darnold, Darnold's got very quick feet. He's yep. got the, you know, Patrick Mahomes, who you mentioned wonderfully who i love is is got great feet people talk about his footwork not being where it needs to be but he does things in terms of being able to get in a position to in a in a throwing position that may not even be conventional but he does it so smoothly and so quickly um i think he has excellent feet it just may they just may not be refined to the traditional ways and i'm with you i call them cubots and I think that that's basically what the NFL wants is is grandpas who are at the you know people who are 25 who who you know think talk and approach the media like a grandfather and basically <laughs> you know at you know they're 25 going on 67 heading to the 4:30 supper at Denny's you know I mean I think that that's basically what they're looking for on the outside and what happens there is that they it's because they don't know how to 
I don't think they know how to develop the position within the the constraints that they're given as, you know, in terms of general managers giving constraints of how many years they have or how many games these players have or how many mistakes players can make due to the public pressure. And the, the you know, I would say the the way that how just capricious and fickle, you know, owners are and how much pressure they put on their regimes because some business interest that they're dealing with is talking crap to them about, you know, how they, you know, about how their quarterback's playing after a bad week. And then they suddenly, you know, change their mind on the whole game plan and scrap that and frustrate their entire personnel department and their, their coaching staff and have to deal with the friction there. And I, and it sounds silly that that's what happens, but that's real business. And the NFL is a real business. You know, it's not some imaginary fairy tale of a, everything's perfect, you know, same dysfunctional stuff that happens there happens, you know, happens in the real world. And you see that happening to these quarterbacks who are not CEOs. They're, I call them operations managers. They've got to, basically, they got to deal with the dream that the owners and GMs sell. And usually that's a nightmare, too, at the same time. And they have to translate, you know, leadership from the coaching staff to what happens on the field. And when you look at Darnold, I think you look at him, he's not the typical Q-bot, but he can... He can make the plays that the the capricious nature of you know upper management in the NFL will love as long as that they can you know they have a good enough coach on the field who can tell them to just calm down and go back to you know selling luxury boxes mm-hmm. and not pay attention to what's going on on the field quite with with quite the eye that they they tend to do as micromanagers and and finally. Sam Darnold's super young as well. Like I believe if he starts week one, he'll be the youngest quarterback ever to do so. Um, at least in a very, very long time. So uh, just something to keep in mind as we move forward. Yeah. Um, okay, let's move on to Josh Rosen, if that's cool with you. Yeah. Um, to me, I see Josh Rosen shining maybe more than any other quarterback in this class, kind of in that intermediate and downfield level. Like, he just looks so natural, right? And I understand that the look is kind of what people are going for here with Josh Rosen, but um, – when you watch him, you can see those plays, those same plays being made um, on Sundays. Uh, there are certainly times where uh, he not necessarily panics, but makes the incorrect decision of, of, of throwing into traffic or to a play that's not open, trying to force a ball because he believes so much in his arm. But again, there are plenty of plays that mirror what we see on Sundays with him succeeding previously uh, on Saturdays, in my opinion. Yeah, and when you look at these players, well, I, I've been looking at a lot of quarterbacks and thinking of them in many respects as boxers for the past few years. And and when you think about comparing them from that standpoint, because there's so many little technical ends of the spectrum that are that are related, you know, the feet drive, you know, what's going on with your mind and how you deliver a throw. Um, so it's about processing information and then executing it. And, you know, we, we left off with Sam Darnold. We're heading to, to Rosen. Sam Darnold, to me, is kind of like the big puncher who can land a punch <laughs> from any angle. And it's and it's and it's a it's crazy. He doesn't his feet may not always be where they need to be, but he can still deliver with power, even from an unconventional angle. And he's a bit of a brawler and he's physical and, you know, he's a little better boxer than you think. But he's a guy that really wants to get you in close quarters and just just, you know, exchange and and. Rosen is more of the, the the ring general. He is a ring strategist who has just perfect technique, you, you know, when you're talking or close to it when it comes to his dropbacks, you know, his play action game, his footwork in terms of through the from the setup through the release he's got a very balanced release so the ball doesn't drift one side to the other nearly as often as some other quarterback prospects that we normally see um it's just a very clean release that has power to it i mean he can throw the ball you know 50 to 60 yards in stride pinpoint you know with a great deal of consistency i would say it's more consistent probably in the 45 to 50 yard range but he can get you know he can get the ball in plus 50 yards at times too so it's a better arm than some people realize and he's and it's very consistent i mean i was talking about one time where you know i think it was against usc where he he threw a a deep crosser to jordan lasley pinpoint and there was an illegal man downfield penalty on the next play he came back through the exact same route (laughs) 
and hit it exactly the same way. And I've seen that repeatedly with him. But as good as a field, you know, as a ring general he is at being able to, you know, maneuver and throw and play action and one, three, five, seven step drops and all of that, and even adjusting his drops, he thinks that he has to prove. I think he thinks he has to prove something sometimes. When you mm-hmm. watch him play, he has what I've heard some people call the self-destruct gene, you know, the the Eli Manning, you know, Alex Smith, Matt Ryan, Philip Rivers, late in the game, I'm going to try and throw the ball in an inexplicable place that everyone's like, you've been playing great all game. Why would you make that decision? And and it's and he does and I remember seeing the first time with Ryan Riddle, a, a former Bleacher Report writer and former, you know, defensive end in the NFL and with the Cal Bears and we watched him against BYU at, at UCLA and he had like three red zone plays at least or two at least where he tried to throw across his body rolling to the right and got intercepted in the end zone he was a freshman that year but I continue to see that even last year against Memphis there's a perfect example of him doing that late in the game and I hear that you know I talked to Elliot Christ about this at, at um Pro Football Focus, and after I told him, you know, what I was observing, he found a stat that they were tracking that showed, like, apparently with when they're within seven points late in the game, Rosen's quarterback rating takes like a nosedive, hmm. and it's and it's because my theory is, you know, and some of this is narrative, and I don't put this quite in the, you know, in my analysis here. I just say that his decision making gets too aggressive at times, and I point out what that is. But if someone were to ask me what what do I think it is, I think that this is a kid who grew up in a well educated family with a you know a tennis background, so he's learned all this technique in turn, and he's been able to translate it from one sport to a, to another. So he's a very cerebral, technically proficient guy who is kind of probably talked about a lot as very smart. And when you get on the field and you're talked about being this very smart, you kind of want to – you always want to show your teammates that you're a little more than that because football is a game of toughness and football is a game of physicality. And I think that there are times that that Rosen probably – while he's a tough guy and I think he's a cerebral guy, sometimes he's that boxer who – he may be ahead on points or maybe in a close fight and the the – he gets drawn into the brawl and he's not a brawler, but, and so he'll try to brawl and he'll leave his chin open, you know, chin up and he'll end up getting kissing the canvas, you know, on at a moment. And I think that those types of throws across the body are those moments where he's like, I'm going to show that I've got that kind of gunslinger power to, to be able to throw across my body and make the amazing creative play. And, and people and you know and somebody out there is saying Josh that's not your game right be your game don't try to be something else and i think that's a maturity factor that either it will never get out of him and he'll occasionally always do that and you'll and it'll be at times that people will hate, absolutely hate it and he'll hate himself for it later or he'll grow past it enough that it it only happens very rarely moments of identity crisis um let's quickly hit on this personality talk, not really critiquing his personality because that's not the point, but kind of critiquing (laughs) how it's being discussed. Um, My biggest thing, and this has been picked up for the last three, four years is, and again, I cite anonymous scouts a lot because it's my job to blurb it for Roto world. But every time I do it, I want to stress that (laughs) there are 300 plus scouts in the NFL, right? So we can't push this narrative that one scout's opinion is the entire NFL's opinion. Plus there's a hundred other GMs, execs, even more coaches, so on and so forth that have at least fingerprints on the process. And that's a whole nother discussion that I'll probably get to in another podcast. My point being here, Matt, is like we don't know what Josh Rosen's personality is. What is being discussed is information from someone in the anonymous scout or coach or whoever about someone else you've never met in Josh Rosen. To me, I just look at it as me and you, we could meet the same person and come away. And we have in the past, we've discussed this with a different interpretation of if we get along with them, what their flaws, weaknesses are, yada, yada, so on and so forth. 
And that just happens throughout this entire time when these prospects spend 30 minutes, an hour, how much ever time with, with these NFL people as well. Yeah. And I think that your point about how large the NFL pool is of people who are going to evaluate this person and how few of these people are actually giving these commentary and who are these people, you know, well, you know, the average scout is somewhere between, you know, and I don't mean to denigrate age out of wisdom or experience <laughs> because that's not true, but the average guys are in their early twenties to early thirties. They've, they've usually are making less than $30,000 a year. They're traveling a whole bunch and they're there to collect data and then watch some film and provide that information. So if you're going to talk about the problem with the whole editorializing or armchair psychoanalysis of a player and, and how much it's being counted, it really does depend on the team because some teams will have a security specialist or someone with an industrial psychology background or someone with some sort of expertise at parsing information of, of this nature and making a a good value judgment on it. The best teams tend to have those people and they work with the GM and the decision makers and they're the only ones that make that commentary yep. and they usually ask the scouts to just write down behavior, not what they think of it. And the difference is like this. If they have a if they have a scout, go to a bar, go to a town the college town and walk around the town and go to and say, you know, after they've talked to the to someone in the locker room or the assistant coach or a trainer or whoever recruiting guy. And they say, yeah, the guy spends a lot of time over at this club. All right. So he goes over to the club and asks, you, you know, he, he asks a waitress and, and a bartender, you know, have you seen this guy showing a picture of him? Can you tell me about what you, you know, what he does? And, you know, one might say, yeah, he, you know, he comes in here with his three buddies. They're dressed like this. They look like that. Um, they sit at a table. They're always talking to a bunch of women. They're buying drinks for a bunch of women. Um, you know, they're here every night. Well, one guy might come back and say, he's always out at the bars. He loves the nightlife. He loves to party. Um, and and you've got one impression of him. This, the other guy might have enough knowledge and experience to go, to or maybe directed by a more experienced person to say okay so he comes here every night how long does he stay for about 90 minutes when does he usually come oh about eight o'clock at night when does he leave about 9 30 does he drink nope he only brings his own bottle of water i've never seen him order a drink he only drinks his own bottle of water and has he ever gotten in trouble no never gets in any trouble he's just hangs out with his friends a lot of women come by and talks with them and and you know and then he usually just goes home after that those are the same uh, that's the same thing completely different accounts and it comes down to maybe one set of scouts editorializing what they think happened based on their limited ability to, oh, I don't know, ask critical questions or understand right. which questions to ask. And another one who has experience with that. And some teams ask the scouts to armchair psychoanalyze, which is kind of problematic. And other teams don't want that at all. And they know how to kind of look at that information. Yeah, and, and that can be different for high-profile prospects and then ones that might get, you know, the 6th, 7th UDFA tags. And then for the latter, I mean, what? You might just have 15 minutes with them, and yet these, you know, professional evaluators are also asked to be professional uh, personality evaluators as well. So it's just it's, – it's, it's, it's just kind of the gross prospect, uh, uh, process, <laughs> like to me, like a, a gross aspect of the process that um, – just to me, and like I, I, I don't want to like keep – yeah, and I just don't want to like keep pushing like this narrative and 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 conclusions on someone's personality that like none of us have even met, right? Because we might think of them totally different if we actually met them. So listen, listen, I'll, I'll say one last thing. Yeah, it's you know I I've spent probably about fifteen years hiring people in that age range and older, probably people from the age range of about twenty to about forty five. I spent about fifteen years, you know working with people, hiring them as entry-level people, as supervisors, as managers, as, you know, branch managers in the, on that kind of level. And I can tell you interviewing people over those years that, you know, especially younger folks, they change. I mean, I've known folks who are absolutely I've great changed. workers. Yeah, so have I. I mean, some of the things Josh Rosen talked about doing or that they've talked about him doing, I, I've done that or worse 
um, you know, as a teenager and in my late teens. And I think about that and, you know, or I think about my first job and, you know, if someone were to take a look at my me and my first job, I worked at a grocery store for all of four hours, decided that I did not want to live my life with the dull-eyed stare of a dairy cow for the entire, entire summer, stock and shelves. Those of you who do that, more power to you. I couldn't do it. I went home, walked home, you know, didn't even say I quit, just left, never came back to that grocery store, which, you know, you think about that in a job standpoint, even as a as a young person and say, that's horrible. You shouldn't do that. You know, you, you know, it's unprofessional. And I went back to a place that offered me a job picking up trash outside, basically riding around on a cart that summer and decided I'd rather do that than work in a grocery store. And I mean, but someone would look at you and, 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 and perceive that you don't have a work ethic, that you're not professional, that you right. don't handle things well. And that's it, you know, at a young age, you know, I mean, you know, things change and, and you got to give people the room to, to be able to do that. But you also have to know what those markers are. And a lot of people who are just there to collect data and scout film don't have that um, experience and training. And uh, quitting is not necessarily a bad thing, but that's a conversation for another time. Uh, okay, <laughs> let's let's go to uh, Baker Mayfield. We've we've talked quite a bit, both of us individually and in our own stuff about Baker because he was at the Senior Bowl. Uh, just quickly, and we've got about fifteen minutes left. When one hit on three more names, um, what I see with Baker, I'm not saying he's a similar prospect to Deshaun Watson last year, but I would say that they are, are in somewhat similar situations because Baker Mayfield played behind probably the best offensive line in college football. Um, a lot of his uh, game was in a clean situation. Uh, but even when it wasn't, he has this, you know, playmaker mentality where he can create time, even avoid sacks and wants to hit on multiple levels of the field. Now, I think he's, I, this is a, a, a tough thing to discern. I, I would call him accurate, but I would not call his placement. Great. Um, like he doesn't technically like set up yards after catch quite well all the time. Um, and yeah, but, but with Baker Mayfield, again, this is someone, and this is part of the earlier part of my conversation, Matt, where, you know, I used to only watch players like that were, were in distress that were quarterbacks when, when they were pressured in the pocket. Cause I valued that most, but I've kind of come to learn that identifying also what a quarterback does in a completely clean situation means that's most likely what you're going to get. That's the ideal scenario of what you're going to get. So that's also equally important as well. Yeah, it is. And I think the drop in the Deshaun Watson reference is very, is very good. And I, and I agree with you there. I actually have him compared to Deshaun Watson for similar reasons. Oh, wow. As, I had no idea, man. Absolutely. Yeah. I see him as a, as that. And when I say Deshaun Watson in that comparison, it's similar to you. I think it's that what he does, what he will do well in the NFL is dependent on the NFL providing him a situation where he can excel the most. And to me, that's being able to have a lot of pre-snap movement and motion to draw mm -hmm. the defense to a side and for him to use that play action game and mobility to set up you know, first and second reads with that movement. And I think that if you allow him to do that and create passing lanes for him, um, he can deliver, you know, accurate throws that, you know, that are big plays. And I think that, yes, he does have a playmaker mentality. I think Georgia exposed him very well in terms of what his limitations are, which is, or where he struggles right now, which is, you know, tight man coverage, um, where he has to be pinpoint with his throws um, and he has to maybe maneuver from the pocket and reset and fire with that on a consistent level. I think when the pocket ke keeps him inside of it, you know, when they can bookend him off the edges and keep it tight there, he, he can struggle a little bit in those mm -hmm. confines to throw pinpoint accurate passes. And I know a lot of people will say, well, look at PFFs, you know, high accuracy rates and all of that. And I understand that. But I know that people chart things differently. Yeah. I also know that placement is, you know, how you define placement is very important. And I'll end it with this story to give you an idea of that. Think about Mike Holmgren, how good of a coach Mike Holmgren was, you know, in his early years or the teams that he had and the quarterbacks that he had. And think about in his early years as an offensive coordinator and a quarterback coach with Joe Montana and Steve Young. 
and he's with Bill Walsh. And this is an experienced football guy. Well, you know, he may not have been a coach, but you know, you get or a head coach. But at this level, when you're already a quarterback coach or a head coach for a championship caliber team and Hall of Fame caliber quarterbacks, you know a thing or two about football at this point, right? So. The fact that he's in a practice and he's saying good cat, good throw to you know a Montana to Rice um, pra- throw in practice, and Bill Walsh says don't tell Joe Montana that that was a good throw. Don't don't that's not a good throw. A good throw for me is this, and defines it so clearly and so specifically that what pinpoint to him is that Holmgren never forgot that but it was something that Holmgren had to learn because the difference between what Holmgren saw as a pinpoint throw or a good throw was different than what Bill Walsh saw and what Bill Walsh saw was why the West Coast offense actually worked and excelled and became the the you know the offense of a generation um and it's and that level of standard the difference between what you know, Holmgren was looking at was maybe the top five percent of all quarterbacks. What what Bill Walsh wanted was the top one percent, and it's that difference that Tom House talks about with Tom Brady. That you know, players like Tom Brady come to him because they want to be one percent better, not five percent better. And Manziel, uh, not Manziel, Mayfield, Freudian slip, Mayfield. <laughs> <laughs> Some Mayfield. foreshadowing there? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, Mayfield, who I think, and I liked Manziel. Um, yeah. And but Mayfield, Mayfield has some of that movement like Manziel, not quite as wild. Right. Um, and he's a little more accurate than Manziel, and I think Manziel had a better arm. But um, Mayfield is Mayfield's the type of guy that I think he's at that five percent right now, mm-hmm. not at that one percent. And teams that require that that one percent, um, you know, that 99th percentile of accuracy. Um, He's not going to be that quarterback right now. So he could play well immediately, but he'll need that system around him the way Deshaun Watson does to to maximize his strengths and minimize some of the flaws that are that, you know, if he were in a West Coast system strictly without all that movement, he might be forced to make throws more often that aren't in his wheelhouse. And we'll say like his ability to just evade sacks is is pretty uncommon. Like it's 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 kind of fun to watch, honestly. Like yeah. Tennessee at the start of the 2016 season, I believe it was. Like how many when they had that fourth quarter comeback, just that he was out of reach of is is awesome and jaw dropping. And then I mean, you obviously do question like if it is repeatable once you get to the NFL. Um, so yeah, uh, okay, let's go to Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson's always an interesting topic to discuss. Uh, the Louisville quarterback, who I've seen plenty of progression from uh, when he was like splitting time as a freshman to what he is now. Uh, Matt, I think the simplest way to explain him is to say that the highlights that will be shown over and over and over again and have for the last three years are when he puts his foot in the dirt, even on design or undesigned runs, and takes off and is one of the most electrifying playmakers we've ever seen. But to me that overshadows uh, and, and kind of unfortunately just kind of the subtleties that he has while working inside of, of structure. And again, I don't think that his work inside of structure is talked about enough. Not nearly enough. The way I look at it is this. Um, When I see those types of highlights, I say, Turn off the 2015-2016 tape and watch 2017 Lamar Jackson because Lamar Jackson's ability – he has quiet feet. That's what Tony Romo describes, you know, Brady, Breeze, Jared Goff having. He said, I knew Jared Goff would be special after watching a ton of his tape and liking a lot of what I saw, but I felt like this kid had an extra level to his game because he has quiet feet. That's the ability – that when you drop back, finish your drop, that when you need to maneuver the pocket, you're not taking too much space and you're staying within a good stance to be able to throw within rhythm. And Lamar Jackson has that as well, if not better than any quarterback in this class. His issue is that maybe his feet are a little too narrow at times and it forces him to be throwing from an off-balance perspective. And that means that he's not either maximizing the velocity he can get, which is very, very seldom because he can flick the ball like Michael Vick flicks the ball. Mm-hmm. Um or that it's just he kind of wavers from side to side a little bit and unbalanced and the ball is a little bit off target at times. And that's more common. But he is a quarterback. He is not a wide receiver. Um, it, you know, if he's a wide receiver to a team, then that 
that team is not a is not an NFL football team. That's the way I look at it. I mean, I'll make the same except uh, that's that's what I'll say. I mean, if someone says Lamar Jackson's a wide receiver, that scout says that I'm going to say you're not a scout. You right. must be a janitor. I mean, because basically, and I know that's a strong take, but that's how good Lamar Jackson really is. He is Michael Vick with a better understanding of the pocket, of his footwork, of his reads. And of his decision-making, and he has better accuracy than Michael Vick ever did coming out of school. If, if you ask me if Michael Vick was worth the, the Falcons, well, he wasn't, if you ask me, trading down to, so that the, the Chargers could get LaDainian Tomlinson and Drew Brees. Yeah, you know. I, you know <laughs> I knew that from the beginning. I was, right. I, I was like, wow. But if, Mike, if they thought Michael Vick was worth a high first-round pick, I honestly think Lamar Jackson is too, um, but he will not be seen that way in this current NFL environment because he's again not a Q bot quite yet. Right. Um, and you know, you look at this, and they're looking too much at the running and the younger tape rather than what he's really done as he's progressed. And there's going to be a team at the end of the first round that doesn't need a quarterback right now, and I bet that they end up getting him, and he ends up being fantastic. And as much as we like to talk positively about them, about him, and we should, he obviously does have some things to work on, and those are things we'll highlight as we go along, right? Like he's he he's not a what you see is what you get in every single snap. But I do want to point this out, Matt, because this actually got posted to me on Twitter earlier today. Uh, PFF noted that of his 232 rushing attempts this season, only 50 came from scrambles, right? And so a lot of times. <laughs> A, a lot of times people say, well, as soon as he feels pressure, uh, he leaves, right? Lamar Jackson wants and becomes a runner. And that's just not the case at all. No, like, it, just more often, he will buy himself some time. And I've posted plenty of clips on it. He'll buy himself some time and then look for the open receiver and dish it that way. And it also, I mean, it doesn't hurt that when he does decide to become a runner, he is lethal and he will gain yards and he has more rushing yards in his career than Saquon Barkley does. If we're just like comparing apples to oranges here, like that's just an insane number to think of. Yeah. It couldn't be more false. The idea that he runs all the time, because really of all the quarterbacks, he is the best at staying in the pocket until the very last moment, because he's so confident in how quick he is that he will let his receivers run off defenders to the point that now he's got 15, 20 yards before anyone can even get near him. And it's like, he does that extremely well. And I'll just say this, you can go to my YouTube channel, the RSP film room, and you can check out my Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson comparison and all the things that are attributed to Lamar Jackson, you might as well put it on Josh Allen and all the things that are said about Josh Allen in the early before the season started that were so glowing, you might as well give it to Lamar Jackson. And I'll just say, you know, I'll end it with this, you know, the, the one statistical thing that people talk about with him that was, is, well, no, no passer who's had, you know, sub 60% completion percentage has you know few have ever really done well in the nfl and have played all that well but i'll I'll look at it this way there's a certain quarterback for the seattle seahawks who until he went to a highly structured west coast offense that ran the ball a heck of a lot and let him have easy play action passes in the name of russell wilson he didn't have a single season above 60 percent completion percentage when he played at nc state and when i studied Russell Wilson, who I I happen to like a fair yep. bit, you remember we were you you hosted the show with me and Dane and yep. you, you know and Wes Bunting way back in the day, and it wasn't the Wisconsin tape that impressed me. It was the NC State State tape where he was forced to play a lot like the way Lamar Jackson is forced to play. That impressed me the most. Yeah. Um, so when I look at when I look at that, the stats are are interesting, but again where we may risk losing is that he may, I think he's the exception to this rule um, where people will end up winning odds on against me on that is the stats will show, you know, that he is not the exception to the rule. We're going to find out. Let's close it out with, as you mentioned, Josh Allen. And again, simply put, and these are all just simple little evaluations for me. He's a pedal to the floor quarterback. Like, <laughs> like th- there is no touch, no finesse to his game. 
And so you'll get these ridiculous throws when he rolls to his right and throw 40-plus yards on the field, which honestly, Matt, might be his best throw in his arsenal. Uh, but then you also get plays where in back-to-back throws to his tight end seven yards down the field, he'll completely sail him over down the seam or lead him completely into an oncoming safety that he just doesn't see because there's no loft, there's no touch, there's no finesse to his game. Again, he has a rocket launcher. He uses it over and over and over again. It's like you're playing in FPS, right? And you don't want to use the shotgun. You don't want to use the pistol, any of these. You just want to use the the rocket launcher over and over and over again. To me, that's just Josh Allen's game. And yes, he's mobile. Yes, he's athletic. But like one, comparisons to Cam Newton are absolutely crazy. And two, I think that if we're talking about players who need a lot of work in order to uh, execute what, what you want out of your structure, there's a long way to go here for Josh Allen. Yeah, if I were to compare him to anybody, I would probably say he's more in the Joe Flacco, Blaine Gabbert, Jamarcus Russell kind of category. And I know a lot of people will cringe and say, those guys were horrible quarterbacks other than Flacco. And then the Flacco people, the Flacco haters will come out and force and say, he's a bad quarterback too. You know, but really, I think from the skill standpoint, I love how you say pedal to the metal because I think about driving through that area of the country and I turn on radio back in the day and it was a lot of hair metal bands, you know, and you think about (laughs) and you and I think of Josh Allen as kind of this hair metal quarterback, you know, all the, you know, the fast licks and the power, the power cords and the, you know, and it's and it's just this one driving steady beat all the time, you know, and you think that and then you go to the concert and you watch what's going on before you and suddenly you see this you you see them maybe play an occasional ballad and there's some musicality there and there's some skill that you may not have that that you may have missed because there's so much of the the hype concerning you know all the speed licks and everything and when you look at josh allen's game a little closer there is some evidence of touch it's not it's seldom but it's there. I've seen him throw, you know, take something off the ball and be able to, you know, lead a receiver downfield and do some really nice work in the pocket where he's able to climb and throw and, and flush outside. And and he occasionally will do this to the point where there's some hope for me, where I look at that and I go, I understand why GMs look at him and say, oh, you know, this is this this touches my heart from like 50 years ago when I watched the I formation and, you know, you know, but seriously, like, you know, he's an I formation quarterback who can do all the drops and the play action and step up and fire with that gun. But you also see some of the hints of him being able to sidestep pressure and hit hit an accurate throw or to be able to throw a touch throw there. And that's all good. But the question for me is when things get a little bit hairy and the pocket gets tight he sees flashes of pressure at times where he overreacts. And and to me, quarterbacks fight or flight, and you want more fight than flight. And there's a little bit more flea in his game at times. It doesn't mean that he's not tough. It just means that he sees that flash. He tends to overreact, come off a read that was open. And if he was able to actually just have a controlled movement, like, you know, Lamar Jackson does, or Josh Rosen does, or even Sam Darnold, and be able to throw that ball a little more accurately or not just ignore it altogether. And then there's just some bad decisions that come with it where he leans too much on that arm and he takes himself out of scoring range, his team out of scoring range, or just makes some boneheaded plays where he just completely misses reads because of that little flash that wasn't anything there. It's like, you know, I I don't know. I mean, that's it's one of those things that when you see his game, I think he's kind of the the mannequin for what old school NFL player NFL GMs want, and they think that they can just put the clothes on him and he's going to turn into a, a living, breathing, good quarterback. Yeah. And maybe that happens, or maybe it and just it could. turns into a. It yeah. could, from what we've seen, like you said, yeah. it there are like little flashes of like, oh, if this was his consistent play, like yeah. oh, we've really got something. And a couple things I want to hit on that that you touched on. Um, I even think like he has that pedal to the floor style when he runs with the football as well. Like when he drops his eyes instead of, you know, like we just talked about with Lamar in terms of resetting and then looking up again, um, he takes off and runs. And like, we've seen him run all the way to the left sideline then the right sideline then all the way to the back to the left. Like that's just his style. Um, And I do, I want to conclude on this question to you. Do you think the outward perception or coverage 
of Josh Allen would be different if he was a perceived, like let's say third round quarterback rather than possible top 10 pick? You're right where I was going to conclude with this is if I could get him somewhere between the third and fifth round, I would be really excited about him. But the idea that he is a top 15 selection makes me really nervous. And it's based on that past history again of, you know, the Jamarcus Russell, Blaine Gabbert, big arm can move around, can make some really nice NFL caliber throws from a physical end. But as we see the NFL, what happens is the NFL is NFL quarterbacking is, is a leadership game that includes the physical, technical, conceptual, and intuitive. And when you look at Josh Allen's game, it's physical. It has a good bit of technical to it. I can't tell you about the leadership other than on the field. And to me, on the field leadership is about decision-making and that's a little inconsistent and also has some has some flaws that are lacking in maturity, like a lot of quarterbacks. But the conceptual and the and the intuitive, which is really what ties everything together and and elevates quarterback play beyond good college play to strong NFL play, it's it's not there with him on a level that that I would feel comfortable making him a a, a top fifteen or even a first or second round pick. Uh, Matt, I want to thank you for joining me. I want to thank the trains for joining me as well. Uh, it's it's always a multi-guest podcast whenever I record at home. Uh, and again, if any of you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to go out and and purchase the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. You can find it on mattwaldmanrsp.com. Check out all of his work on YouTube. Um, and, you know, if you enjoy this podcast, subscribe, rate and review, that type of stuff. And also check out Matt's work on Football Guys as well. Um, yeah, I guess that's it. Matt, thanks so much. And for all of you out there, we will talk to you all soon. See ya. All aboard. <laughs> Choo-choo. <laughs> the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.